very excited about this. Uh, I was asked to give kind of an update on kind of what the next three months will look like, both for me and for you guys here. Uh, and uh, I, I want you to know a couple different things. Uh, the, my plan is to kind of rest, restore, refresh, uh, get quiet, get some space to just be with God and be with my family. Um, this is standard practice in church. Uh, this is not a really weird thing uh, for pastors. Uh, and just to be honest with you guys, like the last couple of years has been a really hard year for pastors. 35% uh, of pastors in the United States have quit in the last three years. Uh, and I think COVID and the political climate of our country and all the arguing and things that just feels like there's something difficult every week for pastors to wrestle with. And that's taken its toll on me as well, not just everybody else. Uh, and I want to be in here. I want to be here for the long run. Um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24 has this kind of Dr. Seuss, it's like a terrible Dr. Seuss uh, riddle here. But, but this is what he says. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at the sea, in danger from false prophets, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And listen to the verse 28. And apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me for the anxiety of all the churches. Uh, there is this long list of like, I was beaten, <laughs> I was shipwrecked, I didn't have food. And then at the end of it, he makes sure to say, and you know what else is really hard? The pressure of pastoring. Uh, and there is a weight to pastoring. There's a pressure to it. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who, be, who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, there is a weight to leadership, and there's a, there's a heavy weight that comes uh, with leading in the church. And so personally, just for me, like, uh, over the past maybe year or so, um, I've really found that I am experiencing all the same stress and anxiety that I've experienced in my whole 27 years of ministry. Uh, but over the last year, everything feels louder Everything feels more severe. Um, uh, the way I've explained it to some people is I, I'm not, I don't recover the way that I used to. So I, I used to be able to have a conversation with a family that was in their worst moment and go home and just turn it off and just be with my family. And recently, I've not been able to turn it off. It just stays with me. Um, I used to be able to have a hard conversation with people and walk away and just shut it down. And over the past couple of years, I, I just can't shut it down. Uh, I, things are sticking with me longer. I'm not recovering like I used to. And, and part of that may be good. Like maybe the Lord's teaching me to be more tender. Maybe the Lord's teaching me to be more gracious. Maybe the Lord's teaching me to be more kind. But I think part of that is me learning how to walk with each other in our burdens without me taking on everybody in the congregation's burdens myself. There's a self-differentiation that has to happen as a pastor where you stay tender and loving and kind and you're present and you're there with people, but also you can shut it down at sometimes 
and you can be with your family and you can go home and not carry the weight of ministry all the time. There's this kind of weightiness and heaviness um, over the last few years. And if you guys know me, you know that I'm a feeler. Uh, if you listen to me preach every week, you know that there's about a time every single week where I get choked up over something. Uh, I feel really big. That's just part of who I am. I used to be really ashamed of that. Uh, I used to be like, as a man, you're not supposed to show emotion, and you're not supposed to cry, and you're not supposed to feel, and, um, but that, I, that's who I am. That's who God made me to be. Uh, that's what you get when you get me. Uh, I feel big, so I, I, I feel happy big. I feel joy big. I feel frustrations big. Like, I feel anger big. Like, all of my feelings are just there out in front and very raw often, and, uh, and, and I think part of um, part of this journey for me is, is, is going to be to just sit with some of those feelings and some of those emotions. Uh, being a pastor is, is really difficult. I think people don't understand sometimes that you, you sit with people in their very worst moments every week. There's not a week that goes by where I'm not sitting with somebody in complete brokenness and trying to offer some bit of hope and wisdom and grace and mercy in the midst of that. Um, and, and I just feel like recently I just haven't been re recovering like I used to. Uh, and so uh, part of my journey over my sabbatical is just to rest. I'm going to go and I'm going to just get, get out of town for a while. Uh, I'm going to just restore. Uh, I'm just going to kind of crash for a little while. I'm going to get back into my rhythms of just being with Jesus uh, part of the, 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 the fun of this is for 27 years, guys, I've preached in front of a church every single Sunday or close to every single Sunday. Uh, and this is the long, I've never had a break longer than two weeks in those 27 years. Uh, and so this is the first time where I'm going to go three months without teaching anywhere. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even leading a family Bible study, right? I'm not, uh, Sarah's on that, right? I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm clocking out from teaching. And there's part of uh, pastoring where your identity gets wrapped up into being on stage and being in front of people and teaching and delivering and all of those kinds of things. And so I, I'm excited and nervous about not doing that uh, for a while. Um, there is, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go in July and I'm going to spend time at a, uh, at a counseling center for pastors. Uh, it's a place where pastors come to kind of restore and rejuvenate, uh, and, and we're going to do kind of a spiritual inventory of both our woundedness and weariness. So what are the wounds that have happened in your ministry over the last 27 years that you've not dealt with, or that you've not forgiven, or that you've not handed back over to me, and let's talk about that, and let's deal with that. And then what are the things that are making you weary and, and wearing you out, and uh, what does that look like? Um, and so I, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to actually spend some time working on my own heart and, and working on my own soul. Um, part of my sabbatical is that for 27 years, I think my kids and my wife have sometimes gotten the leftovers of me. Uh, and I come home exhausted from I was trying really hard not to do this, especially this early. I come home with all the weight of everybody else's stuff, and I don't have stuff left for them. Uh, and so part of the next three months is for me to be completely present.
somewhere along the way in my family, uh, Sarah became the one that brings the joy and the fun. And I want to bring the joy this summer. I want to be the one that says, hey, we're going and we're doing this and it's going to be great. I want to be the one that's planning stuff. I want to be the one that's, uh, that has energy for them. Uh, and I want to be present for them. And so part of this is just me being with my family and being back with my kids and my wife. Um, I, I, am, I, I want everybody to know I've gotten a lot of questions, especially when people start hearing this is Ben's last Sunday. I'm, I'm not leaving. <laughs> Uh, I have no, I'm, there's no decision that I'm making while I'm gone about should I leave or should I not. I'm here. Uh, I, I, I've said from the beginning, uh, I want to be here long term. Uh, that's the plan. And so part of my journey over this sabbatical is to talk through how do I do this long term. Uh, I graduated Bible college. There were 45 pastors uh, in that group of leaders that graduated from that class. Somebody sent me something uh, recently, there's three left. Uh, three left. And, and so uh, pastors don't make it to the finish line, guys. You just don't see, you don't see pastors make it to the end. Uh, and uh, there's moral failings. They run out of energy. It gets too hard. Uh, and I want to be in this for the long run. And so I'm dreaming and praying about what the next five years looks like for me to be a part of Grace Marietta and how... I can be involved in how I bring my best contribution and my best self to all the things that we're doing here. Um, so I've given you kind of the whys. I'll just give you a little bit of the hows. Um, Douglas is going to be leading the church while I'm gone. Uh, you are in really good hands. Uh, he's he's an amazing leader. Yeah. He is a hundred times smarter than I am, uh, which drives me crazy. Uh, he is he is spirit led. Uh, he loves Jesus and he loves this place. Uh, you guys do not know the sacrifices that he makes for this place. Uh, and you don't see the work that he puts in and the love that he has for this place. Uh, he's an incredible leader. And so I'm excited uh, for him to get to lead. Uh, and I'm excited for our staff to get to step up. You guys have an incredible staff, an incredible leadership group that is working with the church. Um, it is an incredibly healthy place. Uh, over the summer, the Grace Family of Churches does a lead pastor teaching series where we share the pulpit. And so if you've been around at Grace for a while, you'll know that over the summer, usually I'm not here that much anyway preaching because I'm typically off at other campuses sharing. Uh, the summer is a chance for the lead pastors to rest a little bit. Uh, and it's also a chance for us to hear from people from other campuses. And so starting next week, we're going to start a series on the Minor Prophets, the Book of Twelve. I know all of you have been saying, when are we doing the Minor Prophets series, Ben? Uh, the answer is, as soon as I leave. Um, so that's going to start. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually very, very excited for it. We've got some incredible speakers from around the family coming in. Uh, Dave Rhodes is going to be here next week. Uh, Dave is... Uh, the best communicator in the Grace family of churches. Uh, Chris Brooks from local church in Tennessee is going to close us out in that series at the end. Um, Chris is the second best communicator uh, in the Grace family. Uh, and then you're going to hear from other people in the midst of all of that. But I'm really excited for us to do this together. Uh, it really is a great opportunity for you to kind of see. Um, sometimes we, we gather in here and we think like, oh, wow, this is really fun. 
But we, we forget that there's 10 other campuses that are meeting every single Sunday that are a part of our family. Uh, and there's 10 expressions of what Jesus is doing in other places around the city. And there's great things happening. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, it's going to be great. You're going to have um, some great communicating, great preaching. Uh, and then one of the best things that happens, everybody tells me, during sabbatical is, is other leaders have to step up. Uh, and so the reality is there's going to be some holes and there's going to be some gaps and there's going to be some places where it's like, I, who do we ask about this? Uh, I appreciate Ryan. Like one of the beauties of being in a small church is you kind of know a lot of people. One of the bad things about being in a small church is 80% of you have my cell phone number. Um, so I appreciate Ryan saying, hey, um, I, and, and I, I just want to say like, I love you, but if you text me on sabbatical, I will not respond. Are we okay with that? I love y'all. Uh, but I'm not even going to send you a, hey, sorry, I'm on sabbatical. You're just, it's crickets. So just be prepared <laughs> for crickets. Uh, September 1st, I'm going to be responding to a lot of texts and emails. Um, so I, anyway, I've been thinking about all this stuff. Uh, sorry about all that. I, I was asked to kind of share a little bit about that. I, I, I've been just kind of reflecting um, on who we are and what we've built and all that's happened here, um, what I love about this place and what drives me crazy about this place and what I'm going to miss over the next few months and what I'm excited to get away from <laughs> over the next six months, few months. And, and I've been thinking through all of that and, and it just takes me back to our mission statement. And so our, our, our vision and our mission statement is this, it's to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. Uh, and I, I, I could not love this more. Uh, I think a lot of church mission statements are so broad and are so big that they don't really mean anything. It's like, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to love people. Or it's, we're going to love God and love people. Or we're going to love the Bible and tell people about it. I don't, like it's, it's just kind of broad instead of specific. And so when we started dreaming about our specific vision and mission for Marietta, we wanted it to feel like us. We wanted it to feel like this makes sense for who we are, for where we are, for what we're doing, and for what God is doing in our midst. And so we spent over a year kind of praying and dreaming about this, all kinds of different meetings about coming up with what is our unique kind of mission and vision here in Marietta. Uh, and we didn't want it to feel like a cookie cutter kind of thing. We wanted it to feel real. And so it starts off with the word awaken. Uh, we've been praying from the day that this church started before I was even around for revival. For revival in our student ministries, for revival at Wheeler High School, for revival in Cobb County, that there would be an, an awakening of the Holy Spirit and that God would begin to stir some things up. And so I know from the very early days when there was just a house church meeting in a house, raise your hand if you were a part of that house church. There's a few of you in the room. Look at this, the OGs. Well done. Honor the OGs for the original, from the original house church. Uh, the, the, there was dreams and prayers. There was, I, I'm always told, I love the story, Ryan tells it all the time, of like, there, there were so many little kids running around, which all those kids are teenagers now. There were so many little kids running around that they, they would do, there would be like the shaking of the place. The whole place, it was like an axe thing, except it wasn't the Holy Spirit that was shaking it. It was children running everywhere. Uh, and there was this dream of like, we want to create a church that brings revival and we want to create a place where families can come. Uh, we want to create a place where, where, where the Holy Spirit is up to something. And then the next words are each other. 
which speaks to our discipleship value. We, we don't want to do our, our, our relationship with God in a vacuum and alone. We want to be together. We want to do life together. We want to be a family on mission together. We want to be able to urge each other on and speak hope and truth to one another. We want to be a real local community that loves one another and cares for one, one another. And then we don't just want to act on that or talk about it. We want to live it. We want to live. We want to live out the things that we're talking about. We don't just want to be a community that talks about the things of God. We want to be a community that's doing the things of God. And then it says kingdom dreams. And, and, and that, that kingdom dreams is just the good work that God has prepared for you in advance. Uh, and this is one of the key differentiating things, I think, between our church and a lot of other churches, is we believe that there is a good work that is prepared for every single one of you in advance by God. That word good work means occupation. It doesn't mean like just a nice deed. It means there is a kingdom assignment. You were created for ministry. The priesthood of all believers is real, and that's what we're invited to. And so we don't want to create a church that says, hey, we have a dream, and it's creating a big church on Sunday, and here's a thousand different ways that you can sign up to help us build the big church on Sunday. You can volunteer. You can do the, you know, all those things. Please do some of those things. Uh, but we don't want to just do that. We want to actually look at you and say there is a kingdom dream that is in your heart, and we want to help that come to life. We want to equip you to live out your faith in the marketplace, in the world, in your workplace, everywhere you go, we want to, we want to be a, a seven days a week, 24-7 church because we're equipping God's people to live the kingdom dreams that are in their heart. Uh, and then it ends with in a world that's fast asleep. And I don't know if there's a better descriptor than Marietta, Georgia, than a world that's fast asleep. Uh, we're, we're moving fast. And this is a fast community. This is a fast, I, I came from small town Ohio and moved here and I instantly found traffic to be very del not delightful. Uh, like that's something that's happening. Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's running from place to place. Everybody's running behind. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get to the place. We're all in a hurry, but, but then we just kind of are, are asleep. We're asleep to the goodness of God. We're asleep to what could be. We're asleep to kind of the bigger and weightier things of life. And there's kind of this keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing in Marietta. There's this, uh, I, I, I want to succeed and I want to have the big house and the big boat and all of those different things. And, and we just want to say, I think there's something bigger for you than that. And we want to invite you to become awake to what God has for you uh, and that there is beautiful things in what God has for you. Uh, our values are really simple. We've got five kind of core values. The first is that we hear the whisper. Um, the, the, this, the, the phrase that we use with hear the whisper, it's kind of hard to read, but is actively co-discerning the voice of God. And so we wanted to create a community that was all about word and spirit. Um, we wanted to create a place that was naturally supernatural, that understood the gifts of the Spirit, that God is working, that we can be prophetic, that we can hear from God, that God's always moving and always speaking, that he's always present and at work. Um, and then that key word there is co-discernment. Uh, we don't believe that the church is a place where there's one person that hears from God and nobody else hears from God. We believe that everybody is hearing from God, that God is always speaking and he's always moving and we're always listening. And together, healthy cultures of prophetic and Holy Spirit, they listen together. They, they weigh 
what's heard from God, and they say, hey, I want to humbly, here's something I want to bring, here's something I think God might be working in this way, or I think God might be speaking in this way. We don't do a thus saith the Lord, and we understand that God is speaking through the whole community, and so we use the whole community's wisdom in order to move forward. Uh, the second thing is that we soak the altar. I love this. Uh, it's living obedient to and radical and with radical dependence on a holy God. Um, when he says go, we go. Uh, it, it doesn't always make sense. It's not always clear. It's not always understandable. But we're going to dump water on the altar and we're going to say, all right, God, bring the fire. Whatever you invite us to do, there is going to be a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, this year is a great example of this. This year, coming into this year, uh, we were coming out of COVID. Uh, our giving had completely bottomed out. Our attendance had completely bottomed out. And as a board and as a staff, we were praying together and we were asking the Lord, all right, we got to create a budget for this year. But if we create a budget for this year, there's just not much more to cut. And so if we just keep cutting and if we cut our budget back 25% to match where we are in giving, we're... Like, we just feel like there's not enough ministry dollars. We feel like there's not enough generosity dollars that's going out to the community. We feel like we're not able to accomplish some of the things we're dreaming about and we're praying about. And so we, in the middle of COVID, when everything was bottoming out, said, we're going to build a faith budget and we're going to increase our budget. What was the percentage, Ryan? 20%. We're going we're to do a 20% increase in our budget this year, which made no sense to anybody. Uh, and what's really funny about this, if you know our board, is our board is all accountants. Like, it's all a bunch of, like, if you want a spreadsheet done, our board can deliver on that. Like, we can bring you the most quality, high-capacity spreadsheets you have ever seen. And we're sitting there in meetings, and all of them are like, this makes zero sense. But this is exactly what God is asking us to do. Uh, Last week, at the beginning of the year, we were uh, almost 30% off a of budget, and it was starting to get really nervous. Uh, last week, our budget is even completely for the year. We still have a few months left, so that doesn't mean stop giving now that's even. I'm just throwing that out there also. But, but that's, the, that's the kind of posture that we want to have, this kind of soak the altar mentality that, like, if Jesus is asking us to build a park, we're going to build a park. If Jesus is asking us to go, we're going to go. If he's asking us to give, we're going to give. If it's hard, that's okay because that's part of our faith. We're going to walk where he asks us to go, and we're going to live faithfully and obediently to what he's asked us to. Uh, the next one's my favorite. It's we're going to wreck the roof. We're going to dream together. Uh, it's, it, the, the, the phrase that we use is a collective reimagination. And this is so important to me for a number of different reasons. One is I'm a dreamer, I'm apostolic, I'm entrepreneurial. I, like I, I love to think in ideas. I, I can sit around. I get an adrenaline rush when we talk about ideas. If I go to lunch with you and you start talking to me about your business, I'm going to have FOMO because I'm going to want to do what you're doing. Like I just love ideas. I love to dream. I love to create. All of those things are a part of who I am. But also I've been like, I, I've been concerned that over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or five years that we're seeing more and more people talking about deconstruction. This idea of, like, I'm going to deconstruct. And I think that's important. Like, I think we actually have to pay attention. We have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. We have to test our beliefs. I'm not asking you to have blind faith or blind obedience. But I love the word reimagination way more than I love deconstruction. 
Deconstruction is tearing down. Reimagining is building up. The church needs people who will tear down because there are things that need to be critiqued, right? There's things that we need to look at and pay attention and say, this isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. But we can't just throw rocks at, at glass buildings. We actually have to be part of the rebuilders. Like, this is part of our faith is that we're, we're, we're not just deconstructing and tearing everything down until there's nothing left. We're, we're, we're rebuilding and I believe that's what we're doing here at Grace Marietta. This was so important to me when I came here. I wanted to be a part of a church that was thinking about doing church differently. I wanted to be a part of a church that wasn't thinking like we gotta have the biggest building with the most people and the best worship service. We gotta get some laser lights and we gotta get me on video more often. Nobody wants any of that. I wanna change the community for Jesus. Like I, I, and so I, this is so important to me and so exciting for me. The next, I, and so I, this is so important to me and so exciting for me. The next thing is to pass entrusting ownership and believing in those who are next. Uh, we want to pass the cloak to the next generation. Uh, uh, one of the one of the core values of Grace. One of the things that I've seen happen at Grace over and over and over again is people are given authority and and given trust and given positions before they're ready for them and we walk beside them and we love them and we care for them this is how the next generation is built up you pass the cloak uh, I'm, I'm gonna be really honest with you guys and you guys may not love this I like it when Allie preaches way more than when I preach I like it when Angie is up there leading I like when our young staff get up here and deliver on something it is so much better than when I do it. I love it. Because here's what I'm thinking every time. I'm thinking, I, got, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time left. I got maybe 20 years in this thing. They got 40. Like, think how good they are now and how good they're going to be in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. Like, there's this entrusting and this handing off and this idea of I would rather use my platform to lift somebody up than to value myself and push myself more. I would rather give other people opportunities. I'd rather give space for other leaders to shine than, than me get that shine. I'm all about that. I loved uh, at our Grace Summit this year. We started off the summit, and at the beginning of the summit, there was like five teaching spots, and it was all of our young leaders or new leaders that took those spots. And I was, I was so excited that I didn't preach, that I didn't teach, that I didn't have anything to do with it. And I said to some of the other leaders around me, like, I would give this up every single time to give space for the next generation. If the church is going to grow we have to have leaders who are willing to give up their space so that somebody else can have it. There are people that did that for me. There are people, I, I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old. 16, at a 2,000 person church. I spoke for 20 minutes. It was the most heretical and most terrible sermon that has ever been preached in the history of Christendom. And all of these old ladies came up and kissed me on the cheek and said, that was wonderful, Ben. You're called. You got to keep doing this. You got to keep doing this. And I was like, there is nothing you saw in that message that made you think that they should keep doing this. It was terrible. Uh, we've got to make room for the next generation. We've got to create space for the next generation. We've got to lift them up and, 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 and uh, believe in them. And then the last is that we do it together. We demonstrate the love of God by embracing our diversity and unity. Uh, we want, guys, we want our church to look like our community. We want our church to look like our community. This is a really diverse community. 
Wheeler High School is one of the most diverse high schools in the state of Georgia. Uh, and our church hasn't always looked like that. Uh, I'm excited that we're growing in our diversity. I'm excited that we're growing in our ability to worship together in different languages, in different ways, and to say this is a place for everybody. And I'm excited that we get to do it together. I'm excited that God has placed us in this place where, like one of my great joys, this is, I'll, I'll tell you the thing I'm thinking about that I'm gonna miss the most is just you guys. It's just Sunday morning, how are you doing? Giving a hug, how, what's going on? We're talking, hanging out, having meals together, all of those different things. I'm gonna miss that stuff uh, more than anything because I just absolutely love uh, the joy of doing this together and, and being together. Um, so five and a half years ago, I came here uh, and Sarah and I, we sat right in those seats right there. There was a lot less people in the room uh, and uh, I preached a sermon um, I preached on one of Jesus' parables, uh, and afterwards, the, I, I guess I did well enough, and they were like, hey, do you want to come and be our pastor? Uh, and there were three things that really connected to us. Um, one was we were so excited about Grace's commitment to the next generation. Uh, I wanted my children to grow up at Grace. I wanted my kids to grow up in this church. Uh, I wanted them to see you guys as their models I wanted them to, to, to be, to, for there to be space for them to lead and space for them to step up and space for them. And, and I like, my kids want to be here all the time. Like, that's the greatest gift you guys have given me is that my children want to come to church early with me on Sunday mornings. I'm like, what? they're like, what time are you going to church? I'm like, I'm getting up at 6.30. I'm gonna be there at seven. They're like, I'm coming with you. I'm like, why? I'll be the only one there. And, you, and they're like, I just wanna be at church. They want to be here. They want to be a part of our student ministry stuff. They want to be a part of everything that's happening. And so I was so passionate about that, and I'm so excited about what's happening in our next generation, guys. In the last four months, we've baptized 16 students and kids. 16. And I'm so, so excited about the work that Meredith and Grant are doing in our student ministry. Uh, we've got camp this next week, and I don't, I don't know the numbers, but there's this huge group of kids that are coming, uh, and I, the last I heard, I, like 60 or 70% of the kids that are coming don't come to our church. So it's all kids that are from the community that are coming here to learn about Jesus, and we're gonna pour into them, and we're gonna invest in them. I'm so excited uh, about that and what that looks like. We've got CIY this summer for our students. Uh, and last I heard, um, Grant was working on getting like the entire Wheeler baseball team to go to CIY uh, because they wanted to come and hang out and be a part of it. Like I love that there's this growth and this traction and excitement uh, around our student ministry. And so I want to ask you to just keep praying for continued revival in that. Um, how many of you have kids? Raise your hands if you have children anywhere. Look at that. That's what we want. We want this room to be full when we're, when we're all gone. We want this place to be filled. We want the work that we do here to outlive ourselves. I've said this over and over again since I've been here. The evidence of the work that we do here at Grace Marietta will be best measured in the lives of our children. If you want to know whether we've been faithful to walking with Jesus, let's wait 15 years and see who our kids become. We want to invest in the next generation. The second thing was I was just excited about the potential of this campus to change the community. I was excited about the rooted nature of this church. 
that we are rooted in this community, that we are right in the center of Marietta, that the schools are right there, that there was a commitment to teaching the Bible consistently, that we were going to walk through the Bible, that we weren't going to skip the hard stuff, that we were going to be rooted in the Word of God, that we were going to be rooted as a local parish, that we were going to talk about how we change Marietta, that we were going to focus on the Muslim world, that we were going to entrust over and over and over again in being a local parish in this community, and I am so proud like, of the work that's happened in the last five and a half years locally. Uh, just two weeks ago, Wheeler High School called us. We've been giving to Wheeler in every way imaginable for five and a half years. Whenever their food pantry is empty, we're the ones that refill it. Whenever there's a child that's at need, we're the ones that take care of it. Whenever there's a kid that doesn't have a place to stay, we're the ones that pay for Wheeler to have a place to stay. Whenever there's a funeral and they need the church and all the other churches in town are charging them, we give it to them for free. We just give ourselves away to Wheeler over and over again for five and a half years. Wheeler High School called us last week, two weeks ago, Melissa can tell the story better than I can. And they said, hey, we were having a meeting and we've got $2,000 left over in this fund. We'd like to give it to your church because we trust that your church is going to use it for good. Isn't that amazing? Like the amount of ways that we're helping. There is another church in town that's much, much bigger than us that literally comes to us every quarter and says, we want to give you some of our missions money so that you can use it for your benevolence fund. There are other churches that are funding our benevolence fund because they believe and we become trustworthy as a local parish that loves our local community. And the third thing was just our potential to, to find a new way to be renegade. Those are the two statements of the Grace family. We want to be rooted and we want to be renegade. And I love that. We want to be rooted in the word, we want to be rooted in the community, we want to be a local parish, but we want to be renegade enough that we're going to wreck the roof to get people to Jesus, that we're going to believe that God is still working and moving, that we're going to trust that he's doing amazing things, we're going to collectively reimagine, we're going to keep dreaming, we're going to keep equipping, all of those things. And so, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, sorry, I just, I, I get excited about talking about our vision, I could talk about that all day, um, and I won't be long in this. But in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them there. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. And so the Ark has been captive. And, and, and here's what's happening. In the Old Testament, over and over and over again, there is this pattern of stepping away from the presence of God, experiencing the consequences of that, and then there being some sort of revival for the next generation. And, and, and if anything can be said of the Old Testament, it's that it's a generational document. It's a document that speaks of God's faithfulness over generations. That sometimes there are problems, sometimes there are challenges, sometimes we step out and just in the same way that we as individuals sin and fall short of the glory of God, as communities and as people and as nations and as countries and as churches, there are times when we step out and we, we miss the mark and God always invites us back in. And so 1 Samuel chapter 6 and 5, there's this long story of the ark being taken by the Philistines. Um, when the ark is captured, 98-year-old Eli falls off of his chair and 
breaks his neck and dies. Uh, like there's all of these things that are happening. The Philistines have all these troubles because they have the ark and they're not supposed to have the ark. The ark is believed to be the dwelling place of God. It's the presence of God. And so there's consequences for Israel because they've lost the presence of God in their midst. They've lost the power of God. They've lost the authority of God. And so Israel's battling to get it back. The Philistines are like, you can have it. Like, we don't want it anymore. There's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of crazy things that are happening around it. Um, and after seven months, the ark is returned. And Samuel, the prophet, calls everybody back to repentance. This is what happens in the Old Testament over and over again. The people lose their way. The prophets call them back. The people lose their way. The prophets call them back. The people lose their way. The prophets call them back. There's this cyclical journey that's going on over and over and over again. So Samuel brings everybody back. He, he gets a lamb and a sacrifice ready. And as soon as he starts to sacrifice the lamb, the Philistines attack again. Isn't this just how the world works sometimes? As soon as you start getting your life back, as soon as you start getting the breath back in you, as soon as you start feeling like, all right, God's working, God's moving, I'm feeling it again, then comes an attack. Right? Something from the outside happens, something to, to like discourage you or frustrate you or diminish what God is doing or, or to make you think that you got to run back to the easy way or, or, or stop leaning in to God. There's always these challenges. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9, it says, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up his burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But I love this. But the Lord thundered. Come on, where's my Holy Spirit people there? I was, uh, was expecting a little something there. But the Lord thundered. Right? Some of us have been praying for the Lord to thunder for a really long time. Like those moments where it's an only God could have done it. Those moments where only God could have stepped in and saved this or redeemed this or fixed this or restored this or made this work. It's one of those moments where God does something that only God can do. It says, but the Lord thundered and there was a mighty sound that day. I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't even know what happened. Like, was there just a loud noise and the Philistines were holding their ears and then they killed them? Like, I, did it shake them? Like, I don't know what happened, but here's what the story is telling us. God moved in power. Are you with me? God moved in power. God moved in a way that only God can move. God stepped in and showed up and did something big and huge and amazing and beautiful. And we've had some of those moments in Marietta over the last five and a half years since I've been here. We've had some of those God moving in power. We've had some of those moments where we're praying and God answers our prayers in remarkable ways. We've had some of those moments where we're asking and petitioning the Lord, and the Lord works and moves. We've had some of those moments where we're like, I'm not sure how we're going to pay for this, and the check arrives right that week. We've had some of these moments where like, God thunders, and something big and enormous and huge happens where the Lord intervenes. I love these moments, these moments where God actually fights the battle for you. Where you feel like, I got to get ready. I got to get ready to go to war. And God's like, I'm already prepared. I've actually already prepared you. I've given you all the weapons. I've given you everything that you need. You've got your five smooth stones just like David did. And I've prepared you your whole life for this battle. And I'm going to step in and I'm going to thunder and something beautiful is going to happen. They win the battle. 
And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, I love this. It says, then Samuel took a stone, set it between Mizpah and Shin, and he called its name Ebenezer. And he said this, until now, the Lord has helped us. Until now, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is used just a few times in Scripture. And what it means is it means a standing stone monument. It's like a monumental moment. And so this is what God's people would do. When God would show up and thunder and do something in amazing ways, when, when he parted the Jordan River, uh, they, they would have these stones. They would create these monuments where they would stack these stones on top of one another up and create this kind of large standing monument. And then every time somebody would walk past that monument, they would say, what, what's that about? And they would say, let me tell you about what God did here. Let me tell you about what, God, what happened here. That's the Ebenezer, is that every stone is stacked on one another. And what often would happen, and this is really beautiful, is the whole community would be involved in this. So every family would be like, go out and find your stone. Everybody would go out and they would find their stone and they would start building this monument and they would take it and they would place it on the altar and there'd be one stone here, one stone here, one stone here and the Hardmans would bring theirs and the Tappans would bring theirs and the Moxleys would bring theirs and the Browns would bring theirs and they would stack these monuments all together and then there's this monument of what God has done, this standing stone monument that tells of how God thundered. Uh, I... I I have specifically asked for a song to be sung at our church maybe five times since I've been your pastor, and today was one of those days. And so the song that we just sang, that many of you had never heard of before, uh, was the one that I requested, and here's the bridge. It says, I will build an altar, and I'll stack it stone by stone, because every Ebenezer says I've never been alone. My faith will surely falter, but that doesn't change what you've done because every Ebenezer points to where my help comes from. Until now, the Lord has helped us. Until now, the Lord has helped us. And so as I kind of close this first season of my ministry here and I'm like, all right, I'm going to step away for a little bit. I'm going to take a break. Here's my message to you guys. We've been stacking stones for five and a half years. And every one of those, some of those stones were heavy. Are you with me? Some of them were hard. Some of them were difficult. I know how many of you have sacrificed to make things happen in this community. You've sacrificed with your time. You've sacrificed with your grace. You've sacrificed with your dollars. You have given and sacrificed to make this place what it is. And every one of those stones matters because each of them tell the story of what God is doing. Until now, God has helped us. And I think that's about as good a news as we can get. And here's what I'm confident of. I'm confident that in the next season, he's going to help us as well. That in the next five and a half years, we're going to see breakthrough. In the next five and a half years, we're going to see salvation. 
In the next five and a half years, we're going to see some of your children grow up and become teenagers who are living in gifts of the Spirit and are operating with power and authority and who know Jesus. That we're going to see new leaders step into place, that we're going to see new opportunities step through, that we're going to see new salvations, that there's going to be moments where it just feels like, all right, God thundered, something big happened, something significant went down here. And I can't wait to see what that is. Until now, God has helped us. But Peter, I love Peter. Peter's probably my favorite of all the disciples. I always imagine Peter being chubby. I don't know why. Like he's, he, he comes off like he's always kind of sweaty. I don't know, he's always kind of, remember he's trying to run to the tomb and he's having a hard time. Like I just imagine him out of breath. Like he, he, the guy's never run in his entire life. I don't know why I imagine Peter is chubby, but maybe, I think that's the Lord's gift to me is my imagination sometimes. Peter's like this, to me, he's this chubby, impetuous disciple whose mouth is always ahead of his actions who's always, he's like, a, he's like George Costanza, <laughs> the George Costanza of the Bible. Uh, I, I love it. And he's, he's the one who denies Jesus, but then he jumps out of the boat to swim to him first. He's the one that runs to the tomb. He's the one who gets rebuked by Jesus and said, get behind me, Satan. And then he's the one that preaches the message on Pentecost that brings the Holy Spirit, like... He's this mixture of a mess and a disciple. That's why I love him, because that's me. I'm the same way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says this. He says, but you come to him, not just a standing stone, not just a monument, not just a stack of Ebenezer's, but you come to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, and you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. He says, listen, it's not just, we're not just stacking things here. This is not just about a building, and when people drive past the building, they're like, what's happening there? Oh, that's Grace Marietta. That's, that's my church, or that's, that's a church. Or they don't just drive past the park and say, oh, that's kind of cool. What's going on at the park? There's not just a facility. There's not just a monument. There's not just a steeple. There's not just a place. There are people, and we become the monument. And when people walk past our lives, they look at our lives, and they say, that is the testimony to what God has done. The story of your family, the story of of your goodness, the story of the way that you carry yourself in your workplace, the story of your grace and your love and your mercy and your generosity and your kindness, we become the living stones, not just the standing stones. And Jesus is the cornerstone, the verse keeps going. He's the foundation that everything else is built on. And so when I think about the next five years, guys, you can put my stone on the altar. Like, I'm ready. I'm excited, and I'm excited to build it together, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. I'm excited about resting, too. (laughs) I'm excited about the next three months off. Um, But my commitment to you is I'm going to come back with fire. And I'm going to come back with passion and excitement and joy and be ready for the next season. And I want to invite you guys into that. Um, So we're going to move to a time of communion. And we take communion after every service. And we're actually going to sing that song again. And I hope that song maybe takes on a little bit of a different meaning. And as you sing that song and as you take communion, I, I would love to invite you to just kind of take a spiritual inventory of your own life. 
to think through the last season of your life. Maybe that's five years, maybe that's 10 years. Just think through what's God been doing in my family and in my life? What's God been up to in my journey? And think about taking that monument and stacking it stone by stone. Our life is just this monument that's offered to Jesus. And we show up and we just, every day, we just stack the stones. And sometimes they fit and it makes sense. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes those dang things fall down and you got to rebuild it and put it up again. Like it's this journey of growing together. Um, But I'd love for you to look back and I'd love for you to pay attention to this. Until now, the Lord has helped us in the good and in the bad, in the highs and in the lows, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, you're still just as good as when I met you. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would use this time to your glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and speak and have your way in this place, that you would stir our hearts. Uh, your, your, Your scripture is filled with people remembering Jesus, remembering how you've moved and how you've worked, and remembering grows our faith. And so I pray that you would teach us to remember your goodness, remember the times when you thundered, remember the times when we won the battles, remember the times when it was hard and difficult and challenging. And I pray that we would walk away today with real clarity, with real faith, with real gratitude, to just simply be able to say, until now, you've helped us. And so we ask for you to thunder again, Jesus. We ask for you to use us to build these monuments, and we ask that you invite more people into our family. We pray that you would do more than we ever hoped for or imagined. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,